Betsy Tinboom, Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission from the Time Worthy Books. And before we read it, I wanted to read the dedication. It's precious. This book is dedicated to my four beautiful granddaughters, Ashley, Isabel, Elizabeth, and Brooke. I love you more than words can express. Papa. Chapter 1 Autumn sunlight cast a glaze down the street as we walked home from school. William, my brother, led the way with Noli, our younger sister close behind. Vincent and I came behind him. He was by far the tallest boy in our class, and with his blonde hair and blue eyes, I thought obviously the most handsome. Our route home took us up the alley at the back of the school building and out to the Bartolorostadt, one of the oldest streets in Harlem, an ancient Dutch city and the place we called home. Directly opposite the alley was the Grout Market, a paved city square around St. Bavo's Cathedral, where farmers from the countryside came to sell their produce. From there we turned right, past the police station and the telegraph station, which had only recently been expanded to include the telephone station. The year was 1897. It seemed such a long time ago. We came that way, my sister, brother, and I, every day, but not always with Vincent at least not in the earlier years. His aunt lived further down the street past our house, and sometimes in the afternoon he went to stay with her, though I never knew why he didn't simply go home. The house where his parents lived was six blocks in the opposite direction, and walking all the way to his auntie's house meant he had at least twice as far for the return trip, and I was certain he went home before coming to school the next day because I checked the clothing he was wearing to make sure. I liked Vincent and with the increasing frequency of his walks home with us, it never occurred to me that he might have come with us for any other reason than me. As we came near the house, I saw the shop sign hanging from the bracket by the second-floor windows. Father was a watchmaker, and he worked from a shop on the first floor of our house, a place we affectionately dubbed the Bayer, in honor of the street where we lived. My grandfather bought it long before I was born. When we reached the door to the shop, William opened it up and turned to go inside. Vincent called after him. Time for a game of cricket? I could tell by the sound of his voice that what he was really saying was, Not yet. Don't go inside yet. William glanced at me and I nodded my head ever so slightly. I didn't want the walk to end either. Sure, William replied. I'll get the ball and meet you in the alley. Then he looked at me and said in a teasing way brothers sometimes do, Betsy, you coming inside? He knew what I wanted, so I just shook my head and looked away. Cricket was all the rage back then, and the whole of the Netherlands was excited by it, even the Queen, who attended a match when we played the team from England. I enjoyed it, though mostly watching from the side. Running and playing were difficult for me, as I easily became short-winded, and our equipment wasn't the best. The ball William went to fetch was nothing more than twine wrapped tightly around a small clump of paper. William made it himself and covered it with glue. Our bat was a board that Papa cut down on one end to form a handle. It didn't look much like the bat shown in the newspaper, but it was better than nothing. William and the kids from the next street wore it smooth playing with it. When William had it inside, Noli followed after him, leaving me alone on the street with Vincent. We weren't really alone, though. Papa was at his desk in the shop. I could see him through the window bent over a watch, tools in both hands, carefully placing each piece inside the casing. 
He held a pipe in his mouth, which he puffed when he worked, and the smoke from it encircled his head. His eyes were focused on the watch, but I knew he saw me, and so I made sure Vincent kept a respectable distance between us. He glanced over at me with a nervous smile. Did you understand today's math lesson? Yes, I did my best to sound confident for the both of us. It wasn't that hard. I never get math the first time. Perhaps I can help you. His face brightened. Yes, he smiled. Perhaps so. And then his face clouded over and he dropped his head. But I... The alley door on the far side of the shop opened, and in a moment, William peered around the corner. Ready? Sure, Vincent nodded as he turned in that direction. I wanted him to finish his sentence. But he was on his way before I could speak, so I followed him into the alley that ran alongside our house. William met us there and brought a trash barrel that set it up in place for the batter's wicket. We used a discarded doormat for the opposite one and batted into the alley. That way we had less chance of hitting someone as they passed by on the street, and we had less chance of losing the ball. You're up first, William said, pointing to Vincent. I need a few more players. William tipped back his head and called up to the window above. Noli! In a moment she appeared with Corey, our youngest sister, at her side. William waved his hand for her to come down. She disappeared from the window. She won't be able to do it by herself, Vincent commented. Shall we get one of the kids from the other street? I'll play on her side, I offered without a second thought. Vian gave me a questioning look. You sure? Of course I'm sure, I answered in an offhanded way. Why shouldn't I? It's just that you've never... I'll be all right, I said curtly, hoping he'd catch my meeting and not make a big deal of it. Thankfully, he said nothing more, and I hurried down the alley to get into position. William stepped around the trash barrel and paced off the distance to his bowler spot. When he had gone a sufficient distance, he marked the place with the heel of his shoe, making a line in the dust. Then he kicked the doormat into position further down the way. By the time Noli arrived from the house, I was halfway to the opposite street and out of breath. She stopped partway to me and motioned with her hand. Come up, you're too far. I'd never played cricket before or any other game for that matter and hadn't a clue where to stand. But that day, with the sun shining and Vincent smiling at me, I wanted to be out there, to participate with him in a game he seemed to love so much. With a bat firmly in his grip, Vincent stepped in front of the trash barrel and took an imposing stance. I was sure he had knocked the ball into the street behind me, William gripped the ball in his right hand, did the quirky running wind-up as we saw the professionals do, and let loose a pitch. Vincent brought the bat around in an underhanded swing that sent the ball sailing over Noli's head, and I ran to catch it, but it hit the ground before I got to it. Laughing all the way, I scooped it up and did my best to throw it in. The ball, of course, sailed far to the left of William, and he had to run after it. Vincent scored three runs because of it, and William scolded at me, but I was happy. After three more swings at bat, Vincent and William swapped places. William wasn't as good as the bat as Vincent, but he connected on the third pitch. The ball went wide to the right, bouncing off the wall to the building to the next door. I ran to retrieve it, but Noli got there first and threw the ball into Vincent. I wanted to do that, but it was just as well. My breasts were coming in short gasps than anyway, and my arms felt weak and limp. Then as I backed my way down the alley to my position, the ground beneath my feet pitched up on one side. Off to the left, the bayet began to spin around and around, passing in front of me again and again, faster and faster. I shut my eyes tightly. 
to make it stop, but I could feel my body swaying from side to side. Waves of nausea swept over me, and I heard Nolly call out to me and the sound of the bat hitting the alley floor, but that was all I remembered. Sometime later, I felt a cool, damp cloth on my forehead, and I heard Papa's voice. I think she's coming around, he said in a low, quiet tone. Then I opened my eyes to find I was lying in bed in my room. Mama and Papa, Auntie Anna, hovering over me. I could smell the scent of Papa's pipe tobacco and a hint of peppermint that he always carried in his pocket. William and Vincent stood near the foot of my bed with Noli and Corey leaning against them. The back of my head throbbed with pain and I felt sick to my stomach, but I remember thinking how much I would have liked to have been leaning against Vincent's shoulder. She got too excited, Auntie Annie offered. William spoke up. It's the third time this week. I saw her at school, Noli added. No, Mama, replied softly, still stroking my forehead with a damp cloth. It's the fourth. She smiled. I think you had a spell in your room the day before yesterday, didn't you? Yes, I replied weakly. I had no idea she knew about that, but I could never lie to her and deny it. We should get the doctor, Papa said. I agree, Mama added, and then turned to William's direction. Go down the street for Dr. Brunell. Vincent, you go with him. Yes, ma'am, Vincent replied. And when they were gone, she looked back at me. We'll get to the bottom of this, don't you worry. Just lie still until the doctor comes. Thirty minutes later, Dr. Brunell arrived. William was with him, but Vincent was nowhere in sight. I wanted to ask what happened to him, but Dr. Brunell took over and shooed everyone but Papa and Mom into the hallway. Then he leaned over me and began his examination. He lifted every eyelid, gave me a careful, discerning look. He gently pulled down my dress from the shoulder and tapped against my chest with his finger. With due deference to priority, he slipped a hand beneath the sheath and pressed against my abdomen. And then, again, he looked in my eyes. You've had this problem for some time? Yes, I whispered. When did it first start? A few months ago. year before last, Mama corrected. I glanced in her direction, and she looked at me with an arch in her eyebrow. I noticed more than you think. I smiled at her and the look on her face softened. Dr. Brunell lifted my eyebrows, glazed down at me for a third time. Then he stood and folded his hands behind his back. I'd like to see in my office tomorrow. After school? No, he shook his head. She should see me in the morning. I don't think she's going to be going to school for a few days. Mama's face turned serious. Papa, always unflappable, rested a hand on Dr. Brunell's shoulder. There's something more than a little girl's excitement getting the best of her. Yes, Dr. Brunell glanced back at me. If I remember correctly, you're already 14 years old, aren't you? Yes, I replied. He looked over at Papa. She's not so little anymore. Brunell turned toward the door and Mama followed him into the hall. As they moved towards the steps, I heard her ask, How serious is this? But they were too far away for me to hear his reply. For the next hour or so, I lay in bed, staring up at the ceiling, wondering if something terrible was wrong with me. I'd been surprised that William noticed the fainting spells from school, and even more surprised by what Mama knew, but none of them understood the whole story. Over the past three years, I'd fainted many times, and unlike today in the alley, for no apparent reason. In a little while, Auntie Annie came to my room carrying supper on a tray beef stew with a slice of bread and a cup of hot coffee. She was Mama's sister, and since the death of her husband, she had lived with us. 
Mama was often sick with a horrible cough, a condition Papa and many of her friends referred to as the consumption. I even heard Dr. Brunel use that term a few times. The more correct name was tuberculosis. At the time, no one realized just how contagious the disease was. But at Dr. Brunel's suggestion, on those days when the coughing was worse, Mama stayed in her room. She didn't feel like doing anything anyway. While she was in bed, Auntie Anna ran the house. She set the tray on a table beside the bed and helped me sit up. Then she moved the tray to my lap and positioned it so I wouldn't slide into the floor. Do you need me to help you eat? No, I said with a smile. I'll be fine. As I ate from the bowl of stew, William appeared in the doorway and grinned. You gave us a scare. What happened to Vincent? He walked with me to Dr. Burnell's office and then said he had to go home. Home? Not to his aunt's house? I think that is his home. Corey appeared beside him, interrupting our conversation. You didn't read to me, she said in a plaintive voice. Not yet old enough for school, she and I spent most afternoons seated by the window where I read to her. She could read for herself but enjoyed listening, and I relished the time we had together. I know, but I'm not well, and the doctor said I should stay in bed. You could read to me from there. Yes, I suppose I could. Book in hand, she came towards the bed as William drifted away. A thousand thoughts ran through my mind about Vincent, his home life, and why he had led me to believe something different about where he lived. But the moment for discussing that was lost. I spent the remainder of the evening reading to Corey. And chapter two will be next time, and we'll find out uh, what exactly happened with Betsy. I did not say at the beginning of this book that it is a historical novel. Well, we will see you next time. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.